welcome to Tea and Strumpets, a Regency Romance Review. I'm Zoe. And I'm Kelsey. And today I am super excited because we have something really cool to share with our listeners. Yes, we do. It was a crazy random thing that happened this week. And they're like, can you do this for us? And we're like, Hell yeah, we can. Yeah, we're so excited. This thing is so cool, and we are going to be sharing it with you guys and actually explaining what it is and giving you more information about it in the parlor. So if you maybe skip through the parlor, hang out a little bit because you are going to like what you hear. Absolutely. So before we jump into the book that we've read this week, I have a question for you, Kelsey. Shoot. If you could master one weapon or martial art or fighting-related thing, which one would you choose? I have thought about this, and the reality is, is I want to be a badass sword fighter. Like, and not just like a fencing master, but like literally a badass sword fighter who like can sword with one hand and punch with the other one. And yeah, I think that would be awesome. I agree. I think that would be awesome. And mine is maybe a little bit more contemporary, although I really was like struggling with letting go of jousting (laughs) and the lance. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, oh, that would be so cool. But actually, what I really would like to become a master at is Krav Maga. I... I had the chance to take lessons for a while while I was living in Israel, and oh my gosh, it was so fun, and it was so empowering, and even just the small amount of lessons that I took, when I learned how to get out of all these different chokeholds from a strong man, like if Mm -hmm. a strong man was trying to choke me, and I could get out of these chokeholds with my strength and just like dexterity, and it was It was so cool and it was so empowering and it Mm -hmm. really – there was a lot of like jumping and kicking and I really like kicking. (laughs) So like there were all these like aerial sort of moves that we were starting to learn when I ended up stopping the class. But it was so fun and I keep thinking about trying to find a class here where I live now back in California and there are some. I just – I'm just a busy lady so it is – it's not top on my list but – That's fair. It sounds like a lot of fun, though. But I think all martial arts sound fun. Like, I just want to learn how to be a badass. Right? I mean, it's so – it's such a cool feeling to all of a sudden be able to do things like that. So I can't say that I'm actually really able to do things like that, but I have a couple little tricks in my bag now, and that was pretty neat. Sounds neat. And we were inspired – to ask that question today by the book that we read today. Yes. So the book we're talking about today is My Beautiful Enemy by Sherry Thomas. And this book is really cool. It's really different than (laughs) anything we've read before. And agreed. It has a lot of cool history in it and a lot of cool fight scenes in it. And our female character is like the biggest badass in the world. Yeah, she is. So first off, I'm going to say that there's a lot of information in this book. And if you feel very lost, don't feel bad, because in order to get this into podcast length, I had to cut a lot out. And also, Sherry Thomas wrote an entire prequel to this book. 
And it's literally just the backstory of our two main characters. Like, it's just their childhood and how they grew up and how they, like, became the people they were. And it's an entire full-length novel book. Wow. And you you read that, right? I did because I thought it was, like, a normal kind of prequel in the romance novel genre where you read There was it a romance? Some, there's a romance. <laughs> there's no romance in this. It's literally just character, like, backstory. But it wow. was so fascinating and I couldn't put it down. And afterwards, I was like, okay, well, disappointing because that was not the book I was expecting to read. However, when I read My Beautiful Enemy, oh my gosh, it just took the book to a new level for me because I knew all these things That's that they cool. don't get till till later. And it's like, ah, ah, ah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, because I didn't read the prequel. So we had different experiences, but I also really enjoyed reading the book. And yeah, the book is very different and dense than the like typical Regency kind of plot structure, I would say. And this is set in the Victorian times. It's different. And it's very dense, like Kelsey said, just because there's so much to pack in there. And I just don't want anyone to think that we are dissuading you from reading it by saying that. Because... No, and we'll, you can we'll get, totally yeah, we'll get read more. it without the prequel. The prequel is just really good. That's all I'm saying. No, no, no. I'm also saying that not just just because we're saying the book is 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 dense and full of things. I wanted to say like this book was such a cool addition to what we usually read. Yes, absolutely. And since this is a new author for us, I'm going to share a little bit about Sherry Thomas. I just went directly to her website, and I just really enjoyed the snippet. And it says, USA Today bestselling author Sherry Thomas decided that her goal in life was to write every kind of book she enjoys reading. Thus far, she has published romance, fantasy, mystery, and Wuxia-inspired duology. Hi there, guys. This is Zoe, who is editing the episode, and I'm breaking in here because after we recorded, I really felt bad that we did not do our due diligence beforehand and check out the correct pronunciation of the word that we just said, which is W-U-X-I-A. And actually, after going back through some YouTube videos, I found out we were pronouncing it Wuxia, and that is very wrong. So a more correct pronunciation of that would be Usia. And I, again, am still not Chinese or anywhere close to that. So I'm probably still a bit far off on the correct pronunciation. But since we were so, so, so very far off, I just wanted to break in here and say, we're also going to say it wrong again and apologies for that. But the closer, more correct pronunciation would be something like Usia. I think. Doing our best. Apologies. And we might be saying Wuxia wrong, so apologies. There are some Chinese words here that I admit we are probably butchering. And so if anybody does know the correct pronunciation, please let us know, and we apologize in advance. Yes, absolutely. I'm going to mispronounce things all over the place today. We do have a history fact this week, and it is that British policy in Chinese Turkestan, also known as the Xinjiang province, was an important element in the history of the Anglo-Russian Great Game in Central Asia. During the late 19th century, the geographical focus in the game shifted away from Afghanistan and the northwest frontier towards Tibet, China, and Chinese Turkestan. 
As Russia further advanced into Central Asia, within the immediate proximity of Pamirs, the limits of Xinjiang on both sides of Kashmir and Russian frontier became increasingly important to British India, with the intention of counterbalancing Russian influence and to persuade the Chinese to push their outposts in the Pamir further west, the British government sent a number of missions to the area to make contact with the local government. And the reason that we just told you this fact is because a lot of our book today doesn't take place in England, but does take place in Chinese Turkestan. And one of our characters is of Chinese descent, and the other is British, and that is why he is there. Yes. All right. And we also have plenty of tropes. So many. It's surprising. <laughs> yeah, actually, there's a ton of them. So we have past lovers, tragic hero childhood, oh. jealous fiancé, brought together by common enemy, secrets drove them apart, a secret baby, and a virgin hero. It came out of nowhere. It I came know. out of nowhere. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, our main characters today are Catherine Blade, whose Chinese name is Yingying, and Captain Leighton Atwood. Yes. Okay, here we go, guys. Strap in for this roller coaster. <laughs> Let's go. Miss Catherine Blade is on a boat to England with two older women, Mrs. Reynolds and Mrs. Chase. One night, as they are nearing England, Catherine comes across Mrs. Reynolds bleeding, and she knows there is trouble afoot. It is her nemesis, Lynn. She thought he had been beheaded years ago, after he killed her child, but here he is, alive and wrecking havoc. Now we find out Catherine is a practitioner of martial arts at an extremely high level, engaging in battle with Lynn. Catherine prevails, but at a cost. Lynn is knocked overboard after Catherine shoves a door at him. Woo! Starting strong. Oof. Yeah, seriously, it is a riveting prologue. <laughs> but Catherine arrives in England with Mrs. Reynolds and Mrs. Chase, and they say that she must meet Mrs. Chase's daughter. She is newly engaged to Captain Atwood, who returned from abroad not too long ago. Immediately, Catherine sees that Captain Atwood is favoring his left leg ever so slightly, and when his voice reaches her ears, she has to shiver, quote, the timber of that quiet voice was like the caress of a ghost. No, she was imagining things. He was dead. A pile of bones in the Taklamakan desert, bleached and picked clean. But she is not imagining things. She can sense in this man latent danger, the danger of a man who knew how to handle himself, who, like a predator of the jungle, was perfectly aware of his surroundings. As soon as she sees his eyes, she knows that Captain Atwood is her former lover, whom she tried to kill. Quote, if shock were a physical force like typhoons or earthquakes, Waterloo Station would be nothing but rubble and broken glass. When remorse had come, impaling her soul, she'd gone looking for him, barely sleeping and eating, until she'd come across his horse for sale in Kashgar. During this revelation, she is introduced to Marlon Atwood and Captain Atwood's fiancée, Miss Chase. After introductions, the whole party is having tea at a hotel, and Catherine is telling them about her past, at least the past she tells others. Her mother died when she was young, and her father was not interested in living with other expatriates. Mrs. Reynolds also relays the tale of Catherine fighting the villain on the boat. She downplays the whole thing, and it gets a small eyebrow raise from Leighton Atwood. He knows better than to believe that. 
And then we are transported eight years into the past. And Leighton Atwood is in Chinese Turkestan, disguised as a Persian trader. He is currently in the employ of the English government and on his way back to meet up with his fellows in Kashgar. While at a local eatery, he notices a young Kazakh man walk in. At least, it looks like a young man, but upon closer inspection, he sees that it actually is a woman. He strikes up a conversation and then says that they should travel together. He is taken with this woman's boasting of going to brothels and her general gruff exterior. They do leave together and travel the same way, until the Kazakh eventually allows them to travel together for real. Ying Ying is wary of this Persian man. She is on the run from Lin and constantly on the move, not trusting anyone to get close. They do share a day of travel together and eventually make camp. The Persian tells her the tale of Alibaba and the Forty Thieves, which is mesmerizing. We also get more of Catherine's past in China, learning martial arts from her ama and a basis for her distrust, especially in men. Ama would counsel her to leave now, slip away in the night. Ying Ying ought to, but she only wrapped her arms about her knees, listened to the tranquil rhythm of his breaths, and gazed upon him until the fire sputtered and turned to ashes. And then we're back in the present again. And although he has been calm on the exterior, internally, Leighton is reeling from seeing Catherine again, especially this version of Catherine, who is a demure woman who speaks English with only a hint of an accent and generally is conducting herself in a ladylike fashion. Quote, he could not get used to her demureness. The most decorous of spinster aunts would barely rival her in propriety. This from the same woman who had once said, the girls there would fuck my horse if he trotted in with enough gold. That might have been the moment that he fell in love with her. Finally on her own, after declining an invitation to dinner from Annabelle Chase, Catherine sets about doing what she came to England to do. First, she checks the post, receiving a telegram from Da Ren, her stepfather, and the reason she is in England. She is on a mission to find two jade tablets. Da Ren has the third in the set, and together, they are supposed to lead to an ancient Buddhist treasure. She also inquires with a man of affairs to discover if there's anyone who knew her English tutor. Master Gordon, who she met in China, was living at Da Ren's house, and he was an amazing friend to her, in addition to being a teacher, until his death. She knew he had friends in England and is hoping to find others who loved him. Next, she goes to the British Museum to see if she can find the jade tablets. Master Gordon had been the owner of the other two and had expressed wishes to donate them to the museum. Sadly, the search is futile and Catherine is left at square one. That night at dinner, Leighton is reflecting more upon his evening and comparing his now fiancé to his former lover. He also inquires to Mrs. Reynolds about the man who had attacked them on the ship. He sounds similar to an agent the home office has been hunting for years. He then goes out with Annabelle to the garden, feeling suspiciously like he is being watched. Annabelle wants to set a date for the wedding, and Leighton agrees, finishing with a kiss. Catherine is at the house with Leighton and Annabelle, although she's in super secret disguise mode. <laughs> and she has witnessed the conversation in the garden. Let us be married at your earliest convenience, Leighton Atwood had said, after that impeccably staged kiss, angled just so for Catherine to take in every detail, despite the murkiness of the night. Was there any trace of her lover left beneath the tailored coat and the cool detachment? After dreaming a memory from their time together, Leighton wakes up to the sense that there is someone in his room. He knows that it is her, can feel her stand behind him as he walks towards the fire smoking a cigarette. He tells her she has two minutes to leave and walks out of the room. When he comes back, he sees a window is open, which she could have easily closed. Quote, 
Instead, she had chosen to acknowledge her presence, her invasion of his privacy, and in doing so, reaffirmed the desire on her part that had set him on fire, like a city already ransacked. And then we're transported to eight years ago. Yang Yang and Leighton have traveled together for a couple days now. Their demeanor is getting friendlier and friendlier. Yang Yang enjoys having someone to care for her. It is the first time in a long time this has happened. He helps get food. He makes the fire. He makes dinner. He also introduces her to Swiss chocolate. Yum. <laughs> <laughs> and they find that they both had a friend who was fond of Darjeeling tea. While she is enjoying the company, the idea of trusting any person, and certainly a man, is very uncomfortable for her, so she decides to leave him. Once they reach Kashgar, Ying Ying leaves Leeton after, quote-unquote, robbing him. Because he only found out he was robbed after he was given back his pouch of uncut gems, and he found that there was an addition to the ones that had been returned. Nestled among the uncut gems he had brought, a round bead of green jade from the tassel of her sword, and next to it, several dried flowers snow chrysanthemum from the Kulun Mountains, grown at an altitude of 10,000 feet above sea level. She had not robbed him after all, except for his heart. And in the present again, Catherine learns who the solicitor was for Master Gordon and pays him a call. The meeting is unproductive, though, as it turns out that Gordon was cremated, so there is no grave. However, there is a Mrs. Delaney in America whom Gordon directed some of his things to. So Catherine decides to write her a letter and see if she is able to help her get closer to Gordon. Later that day, Leighton and Mrs. Reynolds stop to pay a call on Catherine at her flat for tea. And again, Leighton is struck by her air of refinement. Quote, what did you do to her, that untamed and untamable girl? And what exactly is your purpose here in England? He thought to himself. During tea, Mrs. Reynolds inquires about what Catherine has been doing to keep herself busy, and Catherine comments about the museums, and they talk a little bit, and then Catherine learns from Mrs. Reynolds that not everything in the museum is actually on display. In fact, they have archives, and there is even a list of what is in the archives, which would be very helpful in locating the jade tablets. After Leighton and Mrs. Reynolds take their leave, Catherine sees Leighton left his walking stick behind. She waits with it in the parlor for him to return. Quote, Ever since they'd parted ways eight years ago, she had wished for this moment, her lover walking back into her life, through hundreds of doors and in thousands of guises he would return, crossing the line that separated life and death. However, this is not the reunion she had imagined. He is there to question her about the man who attacked them on the boat. The man who killed her and Leighton's child— Although he does not know that part. Nope. <laughs> and since he does not know of the child, she claims she did not know him and is not concerned as no man can beat her in battle. And with this boasting, Leighton takes his leave. And once again, we're back in the past. And Leighton and Ying Ying see each other again. It's been over a week since she left him in Kashgar. As he is breaking a fellow British agent out of a warlord's compound in Yarkland, Ying Ying, who is there for her own business for Da Ren, her stepfather, appears and helps them to escape before anyone notices the man is missing. Afterwards, he searches the city for her, finally going to a brothel, because when they met, she kept boasting about how all the ladies loved her, and discovers that she has left word. She's on the road to Kulja. And luckily, he did decide to follow her because Ying Ying runs into a group of bandits. And even though she is a force of nature in a fight, there are nine men to her one. And they have guns. She is losing the fight when the cavalry, in the form of Leighton with a rifle, appears. Ugh. But unfortunately, we do not get the resolution to that fight right now because we have to 
jump back to the present. (laughs) And Catherine (laughs) has found the location of one of the jade tablets. It is, in fact, in one of the off-site archives of museum artifacts. With a quick breaking and entering that was only disturbed by the presence of a drunk man, she is actually able to retrieve it, too. It turns out that it was donated by the same Mrs. Delaney she is attempting to get in touch with. The next day, after washing off the gin smell, Leeton goes to the British Museum archives to look at an item. There they give him a familiar jade tablet, but something is off. Quote, as he turned the jade tablet in his hand, however, the markings on the edges came into view, and they were nothing of what he remembered. The tablet was a substitute. She had taken the original. The hand of fate was at work after all. He is then taken back to a time when he remembers discussing the tale of the jade tablets with a girl in a cave some eight years before. However, he has spy work to do and locates the luggage of Mr. Dubois, the only passenger from the ship that Miss Blade and Mrs. Reynolds and Mrs. Chase had come from who had not picked up their luggage when the steamer landed in London. And taking precautions, Leeton removes the luggage to his estate which is Starling Manor, and then navigates his way around some of the booby traps set in the in the luggage, he does learn more of its owner. There are pots of ointment that he realizes are similar to the ones that Catherine showed him in Turkestan. Could this man be the nemesis she had mentioned? Then he finds the neat stack of cards with a centipede drawn on them, his calling card. Then, being the thorough man he is, he sends away samples of the contents of the pot to be tested, including a bit of dried-up ointment from one of the family safes, something he's been saving for eight years. When he returns to London, he is drawn to Catherine's flat. Even though he does not go up, he stares up to her window. Quote, her reappearance had been a seismic event, the aftershocks of which he felt daily, but it was not because she symbolized everything about a certain moment of his past. No, her presence jarred because he had thought the question of his future settled, only to realize that he had been lying to himself, that in his heart he had never left the foothills of the heavenly mountains. And finally, we get to go back to that epic fight and find out what happened. So Ying Ying awakens from a fever. She was shot during her fight with the bandits, but was saved when Leighton showed up. He has taken her to a cave to help her in her time of need. And while she's recuperating, she realizes that she does not want to give him up. This man, who is loyal to friends and likes her not despite her prickly personality, but because of it, they share more of their collective pasts, learning that Ying Ying's mother was an educated woman, the daughter of a scholar. She was taken under the wing of her ama, who taught her martial arts. And Leighton had had a wonderful life until his father had killed himself after being caught with his lover, who was another man. It was either take his own life or live it out in an asylum. And after his father died, Leighton went to live with his uncle, who treated him like a prisoner until he finally escaped, making his way to China to try to find his father's former lover, who had always been a good friend to him. But during this flashback, we also get our first encounter, which happens after Leighton admits that he has never had a lover before. Ying Ying is blunt as ever, though, saying, quote, If you make me yours, then you will be mine forever, and you can never leave me. He gazed at her a long moment. I am already yours forever. 
The trust of his words resonated within her, and with it came a fierce understanding. This was why fate had brought her to the wild heart of the continent, because it was only here that their paths would cross. It was only here that she would meet this remarkable man. Back in current times, as we're jumping around through here, (laughs) um, (laughs) Catherine is at a stalemate looking for the second jade tablet. Also, Miss Annabelle Chase is not as dumb as she looks and is noticing a certain tension between Leighton and Catherine. And while they have not done or said anything explicit, they have this ability to share a conversation with a glance. And that is not something that should happen on so little acquaintance. Taking a break from her search, Catherine is enjoying a sunny English spring day when she runs into Mrs. Reynolds, who in turn invites Catherine to Hyde Park, where the Atwood brothers, Miss Chase, and a Mr. Madison, whom Catherine recognizes from Turkestan as another spy. Marland Atwood suggests that they fly a kite. And while Mr. Madison argues that there is no wind, Marlin points at a kite already in the sky. One that has a black centipede on the front. Lynn, Catherine's nemesis, is alive and on the hunt, it seems. And we plunge back into the past. And at this point, Leighton and Yingying are in love and they're planning to marry, despite the fact that they don't actually even know each other's names. Leighton says that they should go to India as that has been his destination from the start. However, plans are derailed when they each discover that the other is actually a spy. Ying Ying, by finding a secret map in Leighton's saddlebags, and he, by being questioned by Chinese soldiers about a woman, uh, they meant a young man, on a blood-red stallion, just as she has. So Leighton goes back to the cave that they've been sharing and tells her they shouldn't travel together any longer. Quote, He was who he was, and she was who she was, and nothing could ever come of an ill-fated love affair in the shadows of the great game. At Yingying's hurt of this abandonment of her, she gives Leighton a pot of ointment for the injury he sustained, helping her escape from the bandits, knowing that this ointment would kill him. And back in Hyde Park, after seeing the centipede signal, both Catherine and Leighton make excuses to leave. Leighton asks if Catherine is in any immediate danger and if it has anything to do with her mission. While slightly surprised that he has worked out so many of the details, she tells him no, but she will kill Lynn. Later that day, while Catherine is at the Modest to fit a ball ground for the Atwood Chase engagement ball, Leighton takes the time to search through Catherine's flat. He finds her store, he, she, he finds her sword still missing the jade bead she gave him, her collection of spirit stones so she can pray directly for treasured loved ones who have died. There are four on display and he finds a fifth one hidden away. Dare one of those be for him? And he also finds a second copy of the jade tablets. So he knows she's there, she's there to find both. And as he's putting everything to rights, Catherine comes home. And he knows there's no way he can escape the house without her noticing. So he just sits and waits. And they speak about what he is doing there. And she realizes he knows where the second jade tablet is. Leighton warns her to be cautious, as her connection to the centipede might bring her to the notice of the home office. And she heeds the warning. But, you know, there's a lot of sexual tension between the two of them. And not a little distrust between them either. And so they part ways in a bit of a huff. 
So the ball arrives and everything is not going as planned. One, because Miss Chase is not at all thrilled to see Catherine resplendent in a ball gown with a mysterious aura about her. Leighton is not surprised, though. Quote, put her in a proper frock and she would enslave lesions. He'd once thought he'd been right. However, the home office has also discovered the connection between Miss Blade and the centipede. In fact, the centipede is making it look as though he is there to help Miss Blade with some task. Despite Leighton's loyalty to his peers in the home office, he knows he must warn Catherine. And Catherine immediately notices a change in Mr. Madison's behavior, remember he has also been a spy, towards her and makes an excuse to go into the garden. She sees Leighton there and he wastes no time in telling her that the centipede is coming for her and the home office will be his tool to get her where he wants her. And he cautions her to leave England, go where Lynn cannot find her. Catherine, though, refuses. This is her time to kill him or die trying. Besides, wouldn't that be better for Leighton? Isn't that what he wants? And then he makes a startling confession. Quote, I went back for you. I went back to Chinese Turkestan to look for you. I went as far as Kulja, knocking on the governor of Ili's door. But it was a different governor by then, and no one could tell me anything about you. I left a letter in the cave, in our cave, telling you how you could find me. Catherine is astonished. She even admits that the lingering pain in his leg, a wound that has really never healed, is all because of her. However, he's already figured that out. He actually figured it out years ago. And still he went back for her. She tells him that she left Chinese Turkestan two years before he made it back. Quote, I guess some things are not meant to be. And in a flashback, Ying Ying finds herself with child. Ashamed, she goes to tell her stepfather Da Ren, and he tells her that she is a fool but will not leave his care, not while Lin is trying to kill her. The baby girl has been alive for two weeks when Lin does find them. The baby does not survive Lin, and he leaves Ying Ying, telling her now that she knows what it is like to lose the one she loves the most. Meanwhile, we get to see the beautiful letters Leighton leaves in their cave, signing each, the one who loves you, always. But Ying Ying never sees them, as she is too busy spending the years after her daughter's death hunting down Lin, always chasing, never catching, until she is called back to Da Ren's house and told Lin is dead. She can finally go home, but she doesn't know what to do once she gets there. And back in England, still looking out for her safety, Leighton slips Catherine a note telling her not to return to her flat, but instead to go to a house he has procured for her. From there, she is welcome to go to Starling Manor. There is a cottage on the property she can use to plan her next move. However, before she can journey to Starling Manor, she first has to check and see if Mrs. Delaney has answered her cable. And in fact, she has, telling her that she did not actually know Mr. Gordon well, but her late husband and son were great friends. Her son should be in England. His name is Captain Leighton Atwood. What? <laughs> Small world. He would probably love to hear from another friend of Mr. Gordon's. And Catherine instantly remembers the day Master Gordon died. He'd been so excited as his young friend from England had made it all the way to Peking to see him after all these years. He had hoped to introduce the two of them. Quote, Some things are not meant to be, Leighton Atwood had said the night before. But if they were not meant to be, then why did the forces of destiny keep bringing them together? Still in London, Leighton is trying to sound ambivalent about the search for Miss Blade. Mr. Madison 
has also taken it upon himself to inform Annabelle and Mrs. Chase about the centipede and his presence slash connection to Miss Blade. Leighton, the next day, is off to Starling Manor, but before that, he gets a cable from his mother, telling him there is a Miss Catherine Blade looking for friends of Mr. Gordon. Finally, it all connects. Why Catherine had always seemed familiar to him. He'd seen her in Peking, crying on the street. He was so delirious with malaria at the time, he had not been able to connect her presence to the death of Herbert Gordon. And so the two of them meet at Starling Manor. Quote, they gazed at each other. For a moment, she felt precariously balanced. The forces that would hold them apart and the affinities that would draw them together in perfect yet dangerous equilibrium. And the day at Starling Manor is spent productively. Catherine is able to find the antidote to the poisons that the centipede uses in his weapons now that she has access to his luggage. Oh, and she can give Leighton the antidote to the poison that she gave him eight years ago that has permanently damaged his leg. They also spend time reminiscing about their shared friend. Leighton shares stories of his childhood with Herb, and Catherine tells him of her time with Herb in China. He brings her to his grave, and they speak about the past. Catherine tells him that she was never a spy for the state, only for her stepfather. Leighton shares that he had hoped to find her upon his return, and they could run off to Hawaii together in order to share a life. As they are speaking, Miss Chase, who has arrived at Starling Manor with her mother, comes up to the hill. She is slightly surprised to see Catherine there, but covers it well. Catherine already has the perfect excuse for her early arrival, the mutual friend between her and the Atwood family, whom she just discovered the connection to. That evening, Leighton comes to see Catherine in the cottage he has given her leave to use. Together, they compare the rubbings of all three jade tablets, as Leighton possesses the missing one, and so has rubbings from all of them. So while they had missed each other in the past, even if Catherine had never met Mrs. Reynolds and Mrs. Chase, her search for people who knew Master Gordon would still have brought her back to Leighton. After discussing how they could translate the jade tablets, they first need to figure out what language it's in, Leighton tells Catherine he is planning to speak to Miss Chase about ending their engagement. Quote, he took her hand in his and kissed her on the forehead. I will look after you for as long as we both live, and there will never be anyone else but you. The next day, Leighton is starting on the task of deciphering the text on the jade tablets when he receives the post. It contains a translation of Catherine's spirit stones as he had wanted to know who they were for. And they read, Compassionate Mother, Beneficent Master, Noble Friend, The Nameless Beloved, and Cherished Daughter. Quote, A child. He'd had a child, a child he had never seen and would never meet. He was the father of a girl who had drawn her last breath before he'd even learned of her existence. Reeling from this new development, Leighton goes in search of Catherine, finding out the centipede is the one who killed their child. Quote, she hit him hard, not the kind of punches that would send a man flying backward with cracked ribs, but those of a woman who had too long borne her grief all alone. She could have been safe in India, but you left me. You left me and he found me, and I could not defend her. I trained my entire life, and I could never save anyone I loved. This shared grief unleashes something between them, and we have encounter number two. And then, after pillow talk of a future together, we have encounter number three. And none of these encounters are really described in detail, but they're more beautiful than mm -hmm. explicit. Yes. <laughs> And after this, they are dressing, and suddenly Leighton has a spark of an idea about the tablet. One of the phrases could mean tranquil summer. 
Catherine tells him that there is a province that is actually named the same. And suddenly they are both giddy with the prospect that there is actually treasure at the end of this hunt. Leighton leaves Catherine's room, telling her to meet him in the library in a few minutes. And as Catherine heads towards where she hopes is the library, it's a big house, Miss Chase asks her to come to the parlor where a dark-haired man is standing. And it's Lynn, (gasps) also known as the Centipede, here to finish the fight. As he greets Catherine, Mrs. Chase arrives to tell Miss Chase that she saw Leighton leaving Catherine's room. However, this is a low priority when there is such a predator about. At first, Lynn pulls a gun on Catherine, but Leighton, who has good timing, (laughs) shoots it out of his hand. Now Catherine and Lynn battle it out martial arts style, with Catherine the winner after pulling the curtains down around him and bashing him on the head with a fire poker. And then for good measure, they shoot him with a shotgun. Oh, yeah, he dead now. It was actually quite quick for a nemesis returning, to be perfectly honest. It it was, but it was thrilling. (laughs) It was. It was very thrilling. And after the mess, it is clear Catherine needs to leave England. She is still suspected to be collaborating with the centipede, and his death will not erase the suspicion. Leighton gives her both the jade tablets she's been looking for and tells her she should head straight for Dover, and he will come for her in Peking. She tells him to ask for her at Prince Fei's residence and to be looking for Ba Yingua, or as everyone else calls her, Yingying. Catherine returns to her stepfather Da Ren with the tablets, and they in turn go hunt for the treasure. And they actually do find it, but it is not the gold that Da Ren was hoping for. It is instead all of the knowledge the Buddhist monks were afraid of losing as their religion was being pushed out of China. While the mission to find the treasure was a failure, in some ways, it did serve a purpose. Da Ren finally gives Catherine the sign of approval she has been chasing from him all her life. He tells her, quote, I have watched you fall too many times to count. It seems at times, but you will always take flight again. He set a hand on her shoulder, the barest shred of tears in his eyes. Would that I had a son like you. Your mother might have known how to comfort me, but you know how to put the fight back in an old man's soul. Oh, finally, approval. And then she goes back to her house, which was once her house with her mother. And almost no time has passed when Leighton arrives. He's come for her. In the time when she was looking for the treasure. And he also is there to tell her that the reason Lynn was able to find her so easily is that Miss Chase, after seeing Catherine at Starling Manor, put an advert in the London Times for Lynn to find. It seems Miss Chase was aware of something between Leighton and Catherine and fearing for her own future, decided that it was the best to get rid of the competition. A very deadly person, apparently, (laughs) this Mm. Miss Chase. And Catherine tells Leighton about the treasure and how they did find it. And he would have loved it because he is a lover of languages and knowledge. Yes. And then they talk about their new life together and traveling the world. And then we have some maybe encounters. Again, not much detail. And they live happily ever after. Whew. What a story. It really was a story. I mean, like, y'all really need to read this one. (laughs) So we can unpack it a little bit more, but first, shall we adjourn to the parlor? We shall. Today's book recommendation comes once again from the thread I mentioned last week from Twitter. User at 
Book Harlot recommended Good Earls Don't Lie by Michelle Willingham. Lady Rose is paralyzed and threatens to beat the hero over the head with a shovel. She says, quote, it's honestly a great book. And if you have a book recommendation, we would love to hear from you. If you have an inclusive or diverse author or book you love, we want to hear about it and share it. Let us know through our email, romancepod at gmail.com. And if you'd like to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at T and Strumpets, T is in Tom and is in Nancy Strumpets, on Facebook slash T and Strumpets, and on Pinterest slash T and Strumpets. And then you can also find us on YouTube by searching the name of the show. And if you really want to be in the know, you can sign up for email notifications on our website. Our website is romancepod.com, and there you can find episodes, more information about us, and other resources. So take a look. And now we promised you guys something very cool in the beginning, and we are finally here to talk about it. Yes. So <laughs> very exciting. Thanks. So Maya Rodale reached out to us with a very cool project that is related to her upcoming book, An Heiress to Remember. And this is the third book in her Gilded Age Girls Club series, and it is coming out at the end of this month. But today we have a really cool thing from her to share with you. She is releasing a scripted, acted, sound-enhanced scene from that book. So Maya sent us a little bit of a history and an introduction to this clip, and I am going to read that to you guys now. So she writes, Why aren't more romance novels made into movies? And what would it sound like if they did? What if an audiobook weren't just narrated, but acted? and had sound effects. What if a romance novel were made into a radio play? Fortunately, she had friends who were able to help her find the answers to these questions. Her pals, Courtney Wetzel and Megan Jones, and herself, they adapted a scene from her novel, An Heiress to Remember, in the style of a radio play, scripted, acted, and sound enhanced. You can read the original excerpt on Maya's website, but better yet, You get to have a listen here today to this scene as it's brought to life by the actors Megan Jones and Ryan Blackwell. Sound editing for this clip was done by Jonathan Arthur Ashley, and it was produced by Courtney Wetzel. And you can also check it out if you want to hear it again at mayarodale.com slash audio excerpt. And of course, we will link to that in the show notes. And she also says, want more romance novel radio plays? Let her know. Visit mayarodale.com slash connect or sign up for her newsletter. And Kelsey and I have had the opportunity to listen to it already. And um, (laughs) it's so cool. Uh, Yes. And so we are here to please your ears. Yes. So without further ado, we are going to play you this scene from An Heiress to Remember. Once upon a time, West Dalton and Beatrice Goodwin were lovers. Now this divorced duchess and millionaire merchant prince are rivals for her family's department store at the turn of the century in New York City. An excerpt from An Heiress to Remember by Maya Rodin. Come on, elevator. Come on. Beatrice, wait. Modern technology, don't fail me now. Which floor, ma'am? The lobby. the lobby. 
How is everyone today? Fine. Fine. Splendid. Outstanding. Looks like a storm is on the way. Beatrice. Wait, Beatrice. Terrible time of day to get a hack. Just wonderful. There's never a good time of day to get a hack. But this time is particularly unfavorable. Shifts changing, the horses eager to get back to their supper. Maybe if you're going uptown, someone will take you on their way back to the stables. Are you explaining to me how calves work? As if I don't know. We've been out of town for a while. As it happens, I am going uptown. How is the old Goodwin mansion? Hopefully it's been kept in better fashion than the store. Really? Are we really going to do this? Do what? It's one thing if we're going to compete for the store, which you have obviously wanted from the beginning. <laughs> and which is mine. So you say. It's another if every conversation we have is to be trading needlessly petty barbs. You're right. I apologize. Thank you. Now if you'll excuse me, I'm going to do the impossible. Find a hack when it's about to rain. Beatrice, make no mistake, there will be a competition. A prospect I find thrilling. Ah! Ha! Almost as thrilling as the fact that I have just hailed a cab at the busy hour with the rainstorm imminent. It's almost enough to make me a true believer in divinity. Goodbye, Dalton. Damn it. Would you like a ride somewhere? My carriage waits. It's dark, dirty, and smells deeply of horses. But it's dry. Fine. Fine. Where to, lady? 34th and 5th. And a second stop for the gentleman. Up down. 57th and 5th. So... You want to buy Goodwins. Clearly. Why? Why not? Ah, I see. You're going to be broody and inscrutable, perhaps either to dissuade me from further conversation or to entice me by seeming mysterious. Either way, it will make for an awkward carriage ride. Never mind, then. Don't tell me. It doesn't change anything for me to know why you wish to buy my store. I'm the most successful retailer in New York, and therefore the world, probably. I have a fortune to rival Vanderbilt and Rockefeller. And so you naturally must have the rundown department store across the street. You know, I could ask the same of you. Why does a divorced duchess want a nearly bankrupt business? There are finer places for you to shop. It so happens that I have so thoroughly ruined my reputation that I can do whatever I damn well please. What I have a hankering to do is take my favorite place in the world, Goodwin's department store, and return it to its former glory. Even if it means going up against the most successful retailer in New York. Even if it means he'll be bested by a woman. What if I told you I always wanted it? To be bested by a woman? (laughs) (laughs) Goodwin's then? I believe you. But I would ask, why? Let's call it unfinished business. There you go. Being all broody and inscrutable again. 
I don't know whoever gave the impression that women find it a desirable trait in men. Fine. I want revenge for wrongs done to me. For what was stolen from me. A noble purpose. Revenge. You're mocking me. Yes, I am. Because we are civilized people in 1895 Manhattan, for Lord's sake. But very well. Revenge it is. And tell me, after you have obtained your revenge, what will you do? I'll live my life knowing I achieved my purpose. <laughs> oh, you haven't even really thought about it, have you? You have been so fixated on some slight done to you and obtaining satisfaction that you haven't even thought about the rest of your life once you've achieved it. Some people would be impressed with my focus. We both know that I am not some people. And I know exactly who you are, Wes Dalton. So you know that you and your family made clear to me that only one thing mattered. A man's status. Nothing else. So forgive me if I am succeeding, and determined to succeed, at obtaining as much wealth and power as I can. Especially at the expense of the Goodwin family. Fair enough. It's how I ended up married to the Duke. Look how well that turned out. So you won't be persuaded to give up the fight? Not a chance. Then I won't even try. If revenge is what stokes the fire in your belly, gives purpose to your days, and warms you on cold nights, then God bless. But I know better. I have learned the hard way that wealth, status, and power are a cold comfort. I find them plenty comforting. Eventually, Dalton, you will either obtain your revenge or give up the quest. You will have to find something else to do. Until then, I'm hell-bent on getting good ones. We'll see about that. This has been an excerpt from An Heiress to Remember, the novel by best-selling romance author Maya Rodale. For more of these rivals by day and lovers by night, don't miss An Heiress to Remember, now available to order. This excerpt brought to you by Courtney Wetzel, producer. Performed by Megan Jones and Ryan Blackwell. Script by Maya Rodale, Courtney Wetzel, and Megan Jones. For more information about upcoming rom-com audio excerpts, sign up for Maya's newsletter at mayarodale.com. Okay, now you guys have listened, and I bet you think that that was as cool as we were saying it was going to be, because, ah, so cool. So hopefully that got you guys really excited for the book. Again, it's coming out March 31st, and you can pre-order it now. Yes. So take that excitement and take it to your pre-order stand. (laughs) But if you don't want to wait all the way until March 31st, there's a chance that you could have the book maybe a little bit sooner because Maya has generously offered to gift one signed copy of An Heiress to Remember to one of our listeners. And unfortunately, this is only open to our U.S. listeners, and I'm sorry about that, guys, but we'll do an international giveaway soon. And so if you are a U.S. listener and you are interested in getting yourself a signed copy of An Heiress to Remember, all you've got to do is go to bit.ly 
Eris giveaway, H-E-I-R-E-S-S giveaway, and you'll find a form. And from there, you can enter the giveaway. And we're going to be announcing the winner via our social and contacting them via their email on March 13th. So you have a whole week to enter. That's also, of course, going to be linked in our show notes. And you still have a few weeks to read the other books in the series. So you should get on that if you haven't done it yet, because they are fabulous, of course. Yes. All right, Zoe. So this book was a bit different from anything we've read. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think that I knew what I was getting into when we started this book, just because, you know, we've really, you know... Okay. We read Regencies and Victorians. Like, we know yes. what we're reading. Like, and every I time. Will say, I <laughs> picked this, I was the one who picked this book. And it was because I was looking on Sherry's website and I was looking over all her books, which she has a bunch that I definitely want to read. And this one just stood out to me because it was kind of like billed as like a spy versus spy. And I was like, ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. That sounds intriguing. And we had this whole traveling aspect as half the book takes place on another continent so and one that we don't normally journey to i mean a lot of books kind of go to france but like none of us take it to the deserts of chinese turkestan (laughs) yeah i mean you and i both even have a difficult time like journeying over to new york like you know what i mean like we're we're really stuck in our uh british fantasy shall we say (laughs) so I didn't realize that's what we were about to read. And I have to say, I loved it. Like, I I really was surprised by the book in good ways. It was riveting. It was a page turner. And normally, I hate flashbacks. Mm-hmm. I just hate it. I hate that back and forth because I'm like, I just get irritated. I don't yeah. have patience as a reader, which is one reason that I like romance so much because I know at the end I'm going to get my happily mm-hmm. ever after, right? But – With this one, you know, each storyline, the present and the past, was so riveting that I would be, like, irritated for a split second when we switched. But then I was like, okay, well, I really am excited to get to know what happens next, you know? so And each each flashback kind of left you on a bit of a cliffhanger, and you're like, but wait, they're together now. They have this history. I must know more. And so it really did that. And something I really liked about it was it had a bit of that – fantasy epic adventure and like i know you love Uh fantasy books and i love fantasy books and so there was just this hint of that fantasy world in there Mm -hmm. when and this is something that we couldn't really get into with our synopsis was the idea of the martial arts that she practices aren't there's like the physical aspect to it but then there's also this internal aspect of it of like knowing your chi mm-hmm. and like delivering things with chi to make them extra powerful. And so there is that lovely little fantasy twist that just made the fight scene so epic. <laughs> yeah. So Sherry talks about in her author's note that she says, quote, the author has absolutely no experience with real life martial arts. The martial arts elements in this book are depicted as they would be in wuxia novels, which I am certain I'm mispronouncing and I'm so sorry, a genre of Chinese literature that centers on practitioners of martial arts who reach near mythical levels of power and agility. And if you'd like to know more about them, you can read about them in the prequel, which is what Kelsey talked about. Yeah. 
But I think that's really cool that she took that element of something that she loved, a genre that she loved, and infused that into her character. Because, yeah, I mean, Ying Ying is a freaking badass. Yeah, like, she really incredible. is. And, like, yeah, it is near mythical. But, like, it's great. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> Absolutely not. And I just – I really – thoroughly enjoyed it and I really liked for a new author I was just really like I didn't know what I was getting into and I just I loved the way she wrote like I just Mm -hmm. it really had a great flow to it and I loved because we've talked about in other books how you know you sense that authors are being repetitive and it seems like lazy writing but she wasn't you would see she would even quote herself from like the scenes in the past like you'd have a scene in the past You'd have your flashback scene and they'd be talking. And then in the next chapter, they would like remember a quote from that flashback. But it was like they were remembering something eight years ago and it just totally fit. It was like for me, it was like she really just was piecing all these puzzle pieces together. Mm -hmm. And it just worked so well that it never felt repetitive. It was just like, oh, my gosh, placing that piece next to the other. Yeah, I completely agree. It was such a page turner for me. Like her writing was really was really thrilling is kind of how I felt it. You know, it it felt almost more like a suspense or a mystery in some ways where Mm -hmm. you just have to keep going. But their romance was also obviously central and was so heartbreaking and different than like so many other books we've read. It was refreshing and interesting and fun and yeah, I just, I really liked it. I did too. And one thing I really liked was, and I mean, we can maybe like, just since we need to talk about our hero anyway, Leighton for me was really, he just was so well formed and mature as a person because even though he was engaged to another one, he was engaged to her because like she was the first person to kind of spark his interest eight years after meeting Catherine. Like it'd been eight years since mm-hmm. he'd seen her and no one had interested him. And then finally Miss Chase arrived and she kind of pursued him. And he was like, okay, I could see that. You know, I can see where mm-hmm. life will go with this person. Okay, like I'm on board. And then as soon as like Catherine came back and, you know, they kind of got to talking, he was like, yeah, I'm going to break off this engagement because like you're the one I wanted to marry in the first place. Yeah. And they talked about that in the cave. Like they were each other's someones. And then, you know, we we didn't get really into it, but they had really good reasons for both realizing that they couldn't be with each other. Absolutely. At first, Catherine had decided to just not take Leighton home to her family. Once she realized he was a spy, she was basically like, I will give up my family for him. That was what she had decided. Mm -hmm. And he then, when he realized who she was or who she thought she was, decided, like, this just will never work. And that was unfortunate. But she also kind of realized when he when he had realized who she was. And, you know, like, they kind of both came to this moment of like, fuck, yeah, we can't. Yeah, we can't. And Catherine even said it because she wasn't a spy of the state. She was really just a spy for her stepfather. So while it would have been hard to explain, you know, a non Chinese man to her stepfather, it would have like, she could have just bypassed that. And her stepfather's the only family she has left. So it was kind of easy to say, well, I just won't go home. Versus yeah. for Leeton bringing her to India, especially into, like, the home office. Like, he was yeah. essentially bringing another spy. And he's like, and then they find out. And then it's ruined. Like, it's just not going to work. 
Yeah. And he was heartbroken by it. It wasn't like he was angry. He was like, he was absolutely devastated and crushed. And then the two of them, neither of them had resolve. They pretty much immediately went back to try to find the other one and then continued to over the years and just never crossed paths until England. Mm -hmm. So what would you rate Leighton? Leighton, let's see. I would rate him, I feel like I'm going to rate him like a seven. Because mm-hmm. I really enjoy him. I like his maturity. I like, and he's a very like thoughtful person. Like he had to grow up when he was really young, and he like has this sense of maturity and this sense of presence. He accepted his father and yeah, Herb. Exactly. He was super accepting. He took the fall for after that and went to live with his uncle. And his brother and mother were able to escape his uncle because of what he did. Yeah. He, in my sense, is like a really like a hero hero, like mm-hmm. in most ways. For me, though, in like a romance novel hero, he's about a seven simply because like he is a bit too stoic for my taste. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like Fair. even when there's big emotions happening, you know, you can feel those emotions. Like when he found out about his daughter, like I I started crying. Like, yeah, but He's just a little bit too stoic of a character. I like my heroes a bit with a sense of like humor and a bit of like, I think if he'd been his like Persian self, like later in the years, I think I would have rated him higher because he was a bit more like funny and like witty, you know, and jokey back then. And then this time he was more free. Yeah, he was more free. And so he's going to stay a seven for me, but he's good. He's solid. So I was debating but I think I'm going to rate him an eight because the Persian version of him mm-hmm. right, brings it up. Yes. The way he signed his letters with the one who loves you or the, the – I can't remember exactly the wording, but it was just – oh, it was so beautiful. Oh, the and, whole and, letters were just beautiful. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And, and how he – was instantly attracted to her, knew that there was something about her. Like their whole interaction when she's trying to pretend she's a man and he just already knows that she's a woman. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, when he saves her and then she wakes up naked and is like, oh my God. And he's like, I already knew, like, don't worry. And I didn't do anything. Like how he's so, he's so gentlemanly. And then there's the virgin hero aspect that I just did not freaking see coming even a little bit and <laughs> neither how, did i and and a virgin hero is not my favorite trope you know i don't I, yeah i think it's a great it's a great trope and i have fun with it but i was like so floored and it was it was so crazy to me but also like felt so right in the moment and also mm-hmm. just that these two people were like you know i don't the concept of soulmates is a little bit above me but like these two in this book were soulmates right yes. they absolutely were and like they were meant to be together and it was just it was so beautiful and then, i mean like and so to me like the way that he was with her was just so great and then mm-hmm. when he pretty much immediately he pretty quickly drops the whole i'm going to marry miss chase oh, thing yeah. and that it's just like long. no you know, like we are meant to be together. And it's just, uh, yeah, I just, mm-hmm. I actually really, I really liked him. Yeah, he was quite solid. But I agree. There's, there was not a lot of humor in this book. No. This was a lot more serious mm-hmm. book. It didn't feel heavy. No. Even though there are like sad, lots of sad things in this book. Yeah. No, it never feels heavy. I think it's because you get those flashbacks, you know, get those time, those talk of happier times, you know, and I think it kind of breaks up mm-hmm. the seriousness of the whole overtone. 
Yes, absolutely. All right. So what about our heroine? Well, Catherine was epic. She really was. I will say this. She's super smart. And she does realize her own struggles. I will say that she she has a boastful exterior, but she truly realizes that she's not perfect and she's not the best and she's constantly striving to be the best. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's constantly striving for Dahlren's approval. And that's just like, and that's the whole thing to her. She's like, I've, I've stopped trying to get his love. I'm just trying to get his approval of me. And then when she finally gets it, it's like, oh, finally. You know, Mm -hmm. like she's shocked. She doesn't even believe she's getting it at the time. But I will say, too, she's very blunt. She's very she's open in her way. She did have a bit of that secret keeping that verged on frustrating for me, but never quite I never quite hated her for it because, I mean, she was kind of a spy and like there was good reasons for her secrets. So even though she was keeping secrets, it didn't frustrate me that much. Just yeah, it frustrated me just enough. Yeah. I agree. I totally agree. So for her, I want to say I'll rate her a little higher than him. I'm going to say she's an eight for me. Huh. Yeah. All right. Because I think there was something missing from her. I wasn't like in love with her, but I will say it's the most badass like heroine I've ever read. Like, yes. Most badass heroine. Like, we need to read another spy one. I know, right? I I, I have a really, I have a really good one that I don't think you've read that I think you'd love. Hmm, maybe, maybe April. Maybe April. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see. So for Catherine, for me, I I really agree with everything you say. And it's interesting because you and I hate misunderstandings, but all of the the kind of misunderstandings in this book, like, were so legitimate. Mm-hmm. You know, like they you know, they they were unfortunate, but also like understandable in the moment. And I think that's why we were both able to kind of get past that. However, I do agree. And I think you were saying this, you know, that Catherine kind of maybe had a couple of opportunities to be a little bit more open and mm-hmm. say a couple more words. And then yeah. maybe there, some things might not have happened the way that they did. Um, obviously, we wouldn't have had our thrilling story had that been the case. Yes, but but there were just still moments where I just got like a little bit kind of like, ugh, you know, mm-hmm. with 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 her because I was like, just like, I don't know, tell him your name or something. I know the things like, <laughs> and they, he even says, he's like, what's your name? How can I reach you? And she's like, mm, names are tricky. Like, we don't need to know names. I want to marry you, but you don't really need to know my name. Which also was like unbelievably romantic. They're not knowing each other's names. It was like heartbreaking, but like also terrible at the same time. I, and, when he and wonderful. Gets that, like the the one stone. It's the nameless beloved. You oh. know, like oh yeah. Anyhow, so I give her a seven. I think she's a badass and she's great, but I just like didn't connect with her quite as much. Fair, hundred percent. All right. Do you have a favorite quote from the book, though? I do. I have one. It's not too long, but it is kind of how she wrote the intimate scenes that I but I actually like really loved it. And so I'm going to read this one. Mm-hmm. And it's later when they've reunited and they're together. And it says, they made love with infinite care because they were fragile, but they also made love with infinite ferocity because they were indomitable. And together, they were stronger yet. Oh, that's such a good one. That was after they both had learned about her daughter or their daughter. Yes. And that was just like, it did feel a little bit, you know, even when we were talking about it in the notes, it was like, 
they share this revelation and then, then they do it. And mm-hmm. it was like, but in the book, it was like so beautifully composed, exactly. you yes. know, where they're kind of coming together over this shared grief and love. And uh, yeah. What about you? So that one was on my list of favorite quotes. However, Aww. I'm going to say this one is a slightly, slightly more humorous one. This is where we get more of Leighton as the Persian traitor. And this is where I think you and I both really liked him. Mm-hmm. So they're discussing their mothers. And he's like, yeah, my mother like left after my father died and I lived with my uncle and she wouldn't really care because she's from a Chinese society where like you have to have a matchmaker to approve like matches happening and your mother has to, you know, you have to please your mother-in-law and she's like, do you think your mom would like me? He's like, well, yeah, I like you. And like, she'll just do whatever I say, essentially. Like, she'll be fine with whatever. And here's the quote. She drew back. What kind of mother is that? A slightly negligent one, I'll grant you that. But the point is, there is no wife, fiancé, or sweetheart waiting for me in India, or Persia, or anywhere in the world. Aw, he is so cute. (laughs) I do like him. Yes. So, now we get to our steaminess rating. Yes. Um, So, (laughs) our steaminess rating is, uh, it's not very steamy. It's like a a well-brewed Darjeeling. Yeah, I would say that it's... It's well done, but it's not like it's not detailed. And earthy, yeah. Now earthy, earthy no. is probably t- is probably too earthy. Yeah, right. Um, too it would just be a subtle, a subtle Darjeeling. Su- yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's there. Like, and you feel the love and the romance, but like, it's kind of like, and then they made love. You know, the think the quote that I read was actually the entire description yeah. of that encounter. Exactly. So it's, so it's written yeah. well, but it's not detailed so it kind of leaves the steaminess rating on the lower end but still beautiful and you can feel that romance between them oh for sure overall in our encounter we had like three and a half because there was some that was like they did this maybe there was four (laughs) i don't know like i said because it's not explicit it's kind of hard to say yeah what it is (laughs) so the feminist recap um i'm gonna say strong strong supporter I agree. There wasn't, you know, there weren't a lot of like female friendships in this one. But what we did have is a really strong, independent, badass (laughs) main character who defied kind of social norms in her custom and in other customs. Mm -hmm. And uh, she just, she was someone who could still fit in with society and who could still like, she did not ignore mm-hmm. that part of her. She didn't ignore yes. the social expectations. She didn't ignore the social norms. But in her own way, she, you know, she pushed those boundaries for herself to become this amazing, incredible martial artist. And then I can also say it's – I loved it because Leighton, and this is why I think he's such a good hero, is because he liked her because of these things. He liked her because she was a badass with a sword and could take a man in a fight and wasn't afraid to show that she could. Mm-hmm. And I think another line in it was like, he was the one man who's uh, who wasn't afraid that their woman was like a lethal killer, you know? Yeah. It's like the one man who liked her because she was a lethal killer. <laughs> yes, totally agree. I mean, it's also a diverse book and it's... Oh, very just, accepting. It's, it's, ta- it's accepting, mm-hmm. absolutely. And it's just... it. 
it takes the genre to another level, which I just want to see more yeah. of. It's so interesting. It's so interesting. Mm-hmm. No, and it was, I mean, like, and something we didn't talk about much is like Catherine is actually only half Chinese. She's half English, half Chinese. And that's where her name comes from. Catherine Blade is for, she never knew her father because he died before she was born. So like she mm-hmm. never knew him. But then she found a letter that kind of had the name Catherine. Blade was the last name and Catherine was what he wanted to name the daughter. Anyway, that's in the prequel. I have a little more knowledge on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But then also the fact that Leighton's father was in love with another man and something that we also don't read. We get a bit of it in this book, but we get a ton of it in the prequel was an interaction between Master Gordon. I'm going to I love this prequel. It's great. The interaction (laughs) between Master Gordon and Yang Yang is he's explaining that he was in love with another man. And she's like, oh, yeah, but that's totally a thing. And he's like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, in England, it's not a thing. She's like, oh, no, like, I know that this guy goes to see his goes has an opera mistress, you know, in a sense. And he's like, well, that's normal. They have opera mistresses in England. She's like, no, in China, all the opera singers are men. (laughs) So like his opera lover is a man. And that's just a total normal thing for them. And so she's very accepting of that. And so is Leighton. Like he loves the friendship of Herb Gordon and, you know, cares for him. And oh. So heartbreaking. They only met for one day after all those years apart. Oh. Okay, sorry. I know. It's this, it it's a this book's a heartbreaker, but it also is. a heartwarmer. It also. I yes. mean, yeah. So so we're at our final book rating. Oh my god, Zoe. I'm sorry. I know we're at our final book rating. I have to say one scene though that just like solidified the two of them. Sorry. Did you no, also find it sorry. heartbreaking with like after they'd like shared their grief over the lost daughter and he's like would you want to have children again? Like, didn't even expect it. He's just like asking her, he's like, would you consider having another child? And she's like, with you, yes. Like, but only with you. And I was like, just sob. Just wrecked me. Like, wrecked me. It was so, oh God. And it was, it it felt right. You know what I mean? Like, where like a lot of the time when you have characters who've had trauma you know, if they have a miracle baby or something, it feels a little like, eh. But I mean, like there's there's warm and fuzzy, but there's also like, oh, okay, yeah. whatever. But in this moment, it was just so raw no, and good. No, the and acknowledgement sweet of and- the pain <laughs> and the acknowledgement of wanting to start a future together, but not forgetting the past. And it's just, oh, oh God. God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. So final book rating. All right, final book rating. I'm going to give this book like an 8.5. Nice. Like very solid, like super epic fantasy, super epic fight scenes. You know, I think as a romance lover, I like a bit more of that, you know, like I like a bit more of the lightheartedness. I like a little bit more of the sexy sex scenes, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But overall as a book, very good. I completely agree. And I think that's why I give it an eight. I think this is a fabulous book. I wish, like, I wish there's just a little bit more romance in it, mm-hmm. too. Even though it's like heartbreaking and heartwarming, like I said, I-, I missed a little bit of that, but I still was like frantically turning the pages yeah. and having a great time reading. Mm-hmm. So loved it. And yeah, really great read. Yeah, super great read. But What are we going to read next time? So next week, we are taking a trip 
a little bit farther into the past of publishing than we have before. Mm. So this book was published, I discovered today, in the year that I was born, which is (laughs) 1988. So this is going to be the earliest published book we've read so far. And we are reading Tender Rebel by Joanna Lindsay. Mm, All right. Well, I can't wait to get into this one. I don't read a lot of older publishings, but when I do... It's a ride. <laughs> it is. But I I am really looking forward to discussing it. And actually, next week is the late, great Joanna Lindsay's birthday. So we're celebrating her birthday by reading one of her books. As we should. Absolutely. So thank you all for listening. We want to say one more time a big thank you to Maya Rodale for sharing that awesome clip with us. And we encourage you all to go out there and click pre-order and get excited for An Heiress to Remember, which comes out on March 31st. And don't forget, you've got a week to enter our giveaway for a signed copy of that very same book. All you've got to do is go to bit.com ly slash heiress giveaway to enter. But join us next week as we read Tender Rebel by Joanna Lindsay. And may all your ever afters end happily. Tea and Strumpets is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. It has a lot of cool history in it and a lot of cool fight scenes in it. And oh, yeah. Could you try again? Sorry. My watch talked to me. (laughs) Stop.